Welcome to the Bulgarian History Podcast, Episode 17, The Hermit and the Heretic. Now, we left off last time with a discussion of the reign of Tsar Peter I. Now, this episode is going to be the first of what I suspect will be many episodes, which will split away from this military and political narrative we've been relying on to discuss cultural and religious changes going on at the same time. Now, these are going to become a bit more common because, as I've mentioned before, up till now in the narrative, there's been just so little information about what's been going on kind of culturally uh, and sociologically in Bulgaria. And so as this information becomes more available, I'm going to discuss it more. Uh, I know some people have expressed an interest to hear more about everyday life and things. Thus far, there's just been nothing on it. You'll recall most of our sources up to this point have been Byzantine sources. And needless to say, Byzantine historians, while they're a bit concerned about Bulgarian politics, don't care too much about everyday life. So uh, now today we're going to discuss religious changes, which are largely separate in this case from the politics of the day. That's why I decided to do them in their own episode. Now, specifically, I'm going to talk about the Bogomils and St. Ivan Rilski. Now, while Rilski would become uh, one of the most famous, well, the most famous Bulgarian national saint, found the most famous monastery in Bulgaria, or at least his followers will found it, and he'll eventually even grace the one lev coin where you can find him today, the Bogomils are going to morph into a continent-wide disruptive force that will shake several kingdoms to their core. Now, that's going to take around 400 years, but the Bogomils are going to be hunted down by representatives of the Catholic and Orthodox faiths as far away as Spain and England. The hunters will do their best to erase every word of their teachings because the Bogomils are true heretics, true rejectors of the Catholic and Orthodox worlds, political and spiritual. But first, to Ivan Rilski. Now, born sometime around the 860s or 870s, of course, we don't know exactly when, uh, in the plains north of the Rila Mountains, maybe around the modern town of Dupnitsa, south of Sofia, Ivan Rilski was a normal guy. We don't know a lot about where he came from, but uh, this, he was born in this time right after Tsar Boris is baptized. Tsar Boris is baptized in 864, so right around that time, probably a few years after. So he can be considered part of the first generation of Bulgarians born into a Christian state. However, as we'll see with both Rilski and the Bogomils, uh, there are critical aspects in this early transition period of Christianity and the fluidity of that uh, period, which are going to affect both of them. You know, this is right, right, right after uh, the, the Tsar kind of converts to this new faith. And as I'm going to discuss in detail, how converting to a new faith is not just a flipping of a switch. It's a long, complicated process. And the, the legacies of previous ideas, religions, philosophies don't just vanish. So uh, as I discussed in the previous few episodes, these, these conversions, they can take decades and they're part of very political negotiations. Uh, everything is a bit connected to politics here and same with changing religions. 
So while I focus more in the past on how these kind of religious negotiations played out on a political level, as you can imagine, they have had a profound impact on Bulgarian society. And this is in part because we're still far, far away from the age of nation building and the avenues available for political leaders to convey ideas to the population are, well, limited. You know, today, if you want to make some religious change, you do it through the churches. You want to make some change to national identity, you do it through television and uh, high schools. And there's so many avenues through which central political authorities can get their ideas out. But it's not like Boris the first could just distribute a handout explaining Christianity to everyone. I mean, even if he had been 100% clear on what type of Christianity the Bulgarians would adopt and practice in the first place, the point is. This kind of transition period, combined with the lack of strong central control, created the perfect conditions for alternative visions of religion to flourish. Now, one of these was hermitism. Many Bulgarians looked at the chaos of their world, the wars of Boris and Simeon, and the many hardships which came along with them, and looked for some escape, some justification for it all, something to give their lives meaning. Many people sought refuge in the new religion, and they, like the Tsars of the time, also sought comfort in intense piety. Many went to monasteries, but others sought a different path, that of the hermit. They would embrace the isolation and the difficulty of a life in the mountains or the forest, seek some higher level of holiness in the hardship of that life. The young Ivan Rilsky originally left home sometime around the year 900, so about the time of Vladimir's attempt to return Bulgaria to paganism. And Ivan left to become a monk in a small monastery near Rouen Peak, now on the border between Bulgaria and the Republic of Macedonia. After some time, he decided that he would be better served, he would better serve God and himself in the life of a hermit, so clearly the monastery didn't quite agree with him. So, he began to travel in order to find the best place to be a hermit, a place somewhat isolated. He eventually settled on an area in the Rila Mountains, the highest mountains between the Alps and the Caucasus, as you've heard me mention. Now, Ivan settles between these two kind of ridges which run from the valley of the Struma River until they end up in what's now called the Kiril Meadow, deep in the middle of the Rila Mountains. Now here... If we believe the legends, and who knows really, he lived in a hollow oak tree until one day the tree fell down, and at which point he moved to a nearby cave. Now, he's alleged to perform a number of miracles for the population of nearby villages, and in turn acquired a significant following. Now, here's where the story gets a bit odd, as the purpose of hermitism isn't to perform miracles, but to live in solitude. How or why Ivan was interacting with people isn't very clear to me, but he required a reputation for being a very serious and holy man, and that reputation spread throughout Bulgaria. As another point of reference, this period of his hermitism and growing fame corresponds roughly with the reign of Simeon and the many wars contained therein. Now this period, in fact, this period of hermitism, extended all the way into Peter's reign, and by that time, the fame of Ivan Rilsky was such that Tsar Peter wanted to meet him. Now, some accounts claim that Peter came all the way to Rila just for this purpose, while others claim he was simply hunting in the area. 
The real mountains will be a favorite hunting ground for Tsars well into the 20th century. And either way, the two men met. Now, some accounts claim that they met at a distance as Rilski wanted to avoid the temptations of such an august visitor, and that the Tsar bestowed great gifts on the saint. Now, these were still the early days of hermitism, and clearly Tsar Peter hadn't quite caught on to the basics, so unsurprisingly, the gifts were quickly returned, along with the suggestion that they be lavished on the poor. Now, Ivan Rilski was probably already working at this time on his Great Testament, the document which would ultimately stand as his life's work. This work called on the Bulgarians to exhibit strong Christian morals. It is one of the only documents to survive from this period of Bulgarian history, its authenticity having been well confirmed at this point. I'll quote the intro so you can get an idea of the style and the content. Quote, I, John, the humble and sinful, who has never done anything good on earth, when I came into this wilderness of Rila, I found no man over here, but only wild animals and impenetrable thickets. I settled alone in it among the wild animals, without food nor shelter. But the sky was my shelter, and the earth my bed, and the herbs my food. But the good Lord, for the love of whom I disregarded everything, and endured hunger and thirst, frost and the heat of the sun, and corporal nakedness, did not abandon me. But like a merciful and child-loving father, he lavishly satisfied my needs. What shall I contribute to the Lord for all he has given me? Many are his benefactions to me, for he looked from his holy height at my humbleness and lent his support to me to go through everything, not I, but the might of Christ, which is in me, because every good gift and every perfect gift is from him. Seeing you gathered together in the Lord here, where, as I told you, no man has dwelled until now, but for only wild animals, and foreseeing that the end of my life here is soon coming on. Because of this, I made up my mind, before my departure from life here, to leave you the present fatherly testament of mine, just as carnal fathers leave their children an earthly inheritance of silver and gold and other property, so that when you commemorate your father in the Holy Spirit, you do not forget his testament. End quote. So you can get an idea for Rilski's sort of humbleness. I mean, he's both humble and not humble. He he purposely disregards himself and yet kind of ingrandizes himself in his style. But this is the idea. This is uh, Ivan's uh, central thought that the Bulgarian should take his humbleness, his uh, you know, lack of caring about golden things. And this is going to connect a bit to the Bogomils. You're going to see how the, the idea of rejecting earthly wealth and pleasures runs through all of these different kind of uh, cultural movements coming out of this period. So anyways, Ivan died on August the 18th, 946, a little while after completing his testament. Now, this day is still celebrated as a great feast day in Bulgaria in his honor. Now, eventually, his followers would build near the site of his hermitism, which you can still visit. The cave is still there. They will build the greatest Bulgarian monastery, one which stands to this day. Now, I've personally visited the Rila Monastery many times, and it remains a monument to the harmony of architectural and natural beauty. It's an incredible place, and I highly recommend a visit. I know I'll be there 
in about a week. Now, the details of the history of the monastery are something I'll discuss as they come up later in the narrative. It's going to be built and rebuilt. It's going to go through all kinds of historical events, but we'll, as I said, we'll get to that uh, because now it's time to discuss those ultimate heretics, troublemakers. You could even call them medieval hippies, the Bogomils. Now, before discussing the priest Bogomil and his beliefs, I have to point out that the man in his life are shrouded in mystery. Most of what comes, most of what we know about him comes from sermons denouncing him. And as I mentioned, European monarchs will spend centuries trying to erase the legacy of the Bogomils from European Christianity. So needless to say, none of the Bogomils' words survive. So first, I want to start with a bit of background. It's necessary to understand where do these ideas of the Bogomils come from? Now, they can be traced back to the original Christian heresies in the 5th century as well as a variety of pre-Islamic Middle Eastern religious beliefs and even Greek Gnosticism. So it's important that while these, this kind of uh, more coherent idea of Bogomilism did develop in Bulgaria, it's sort of a, the, a part of this very, very long religious and uh, philosophical tradition which goes back centuries. Now, I've mentioned before how the transition to Christianity was never a clear break. Pre-existing religious practices and beliefs about the world just didn't vanish. And by this time, Bulgaria had only been Christian for about a generation. So when you combine that recent and somewhat incomplete transition with the extreme social pressures of the 10th century, let's just say it's unsurprising a movement like Bogomilism or Hermitism arose as a result. So, okay, how did it get started? What was the catalyst? What we do know is that sometime during the reign of Peter I, that's again 927 to 969, a priest began to develop a vision of Christianity based on East, the Eastern influences I mentioned. Now, the name of that man is given as Bogomil, and I'll call him that. But it's unclear whether that was his birth name or a title given later. The name Bogomil translates as one who is beloved by God, equivalent to the Greek Theophilus. Now, Bogomil's closest disciple was a man named Jeremiah. Some scholars claim that the two men were, in fact, one and the same, but that's heavily disputed. Regardless, these one or two men traveled around Bulgaria, mostly the southwestern parts around modern Macedonia, preaching their beliefs. Now, what were these beliefs, and why were they such a threat to the established order? To understand that, you first have to understand the established order. As I just mentioned, the 10th century was a difficult time in Bulgaria. War, uncertainty, natural disasters all plagued the land. The newly established class of priests, along with their noble backers, were unwilling and unable to provide the people with a satisfying explanation for these troubles. But worse than that, the elites of Bulgaria seemed aloof. Corruption amongst priests and nobles sowed seeds of frustration and resentment. These social conditions explained both the sudden popularity of Ivan Rilski's hermitism as well as that of the Bogomil's beliefs. They were both reacting to the same set of social pressures. And this is because the Bogomils preached a complete rejection 
of the physical world and all of its problems. I didn't think I could summarize it quite as well as he does, so I'll quote R.J. Crampton's description at length here. Quote, The Bogomils argued that the entire world, including mankind, was the creation of Satan. Only the human soul was created by God who sent his son Christ to show humanity the way to salvation. The Bogomils believed that gratification of all bodily pleasures were an expression of the diabolical side of creation, and therefore they preached a formidable aestheticism which enjoined poverty, celibacy, temperance, and vegetarianism. The, very, the few paraphatic holy ones who lived up to these exacting precepts were greatly respected by the general body of the population, who were painfully aware of the contrast between these holy ones and the official clergy. The Bogomils also questioned the social order by preaching that man should live in communities where property was shared and individual ownership unknown and in which all men would be leveled by equal participation in agricultural labor. The Bogomils had no formal priesthood, though each district or area had a diado, or elder, and there were loose links between different regions. Now, the Bogomils satisfied a spiritual hunger amongst the peasant masses. There was a need amongst the recently converted for an explanation of the increasingly harsh conditions in which they found themselves. The teachers and priests of the official church were neither, were, were neither as able nor as committed as the ones brought in by Boris and Simeon previously. And many who felt abandoned by a clergy apparently more interested in self-enrichment than in the well-being of its flock naturally found more to respect in those who practiced the exacting doctrine they preached. End quote. Now you can see there why Bogomilism posed such a genuine threat to the Bulgarian state in its social order. It both robbed the state and the church of its legitimacy and, as Crampton later points out, discouraged reform. After all, if the physical world is a manifestation of the devil, why try to build a better state, a better government? Why reform? Further, why join the priesthood? Why join the army? Why pay taxes? Widespread resistance to the Bogomils and their ideas won't start until later. For now, the Bulgarian state simply had too many other concerns to worry about a religious sect on the rise. So I'll continue to discuss them as they come through the narrative. But this is about all the information we have on them from the reign of Peter I. But I want to just take a moment to have you think about this. Think about these people and their beliefs. Now, as I mentioned... The Bogomils and their ideas are going to spread in various forms throughout Europe, and you can see why they're hunted down. If you can convert a couple villages to this idea, suddenly there's no more government. There's no more religion. I mean, it's a bit – well, obviously, there you see, uh, there's some connections to communism, this idea that eventually all property will be shared, uh, that uh, people will live a sort of prosperous but austere lifestyle. And it has that same viral quality, that same sense of uh, sort of threatening changes to anyone who's in the kind of upper classes, anyone in power. And so, and so again, this is going to be ignored for a while. But as it develops, it's going to be something which is going to kind of cut out the heart of some regions of Bulgaria. Now, we'll discuss this controversy. Some people like to blame the Bogomils 
for a lot of what's going to befall the first Bulgarian Empire. Uh, I'm a little skeptical of that, but we'll talk about it as it comes. But certainly this isn't nothing. This idea of this completely alternative version of Christianity, uh, a sort of complete way of living, is going is something that uh, comes out of a real place of Bulgaria's history, at a real uh, moment in time. It comes out of Bulgaria's physical location, as I mentioned. Uh, over time, some sort of Armenian communities which hold similar kind of heretical Christian beliefs are going to settle in Bulgaria. I'm going to talk about them later. And all these beliefs are going to mix up in this sort of spiritualism which existed in Bulgaria at the time and which exists today is all going to sort of foster and feed into these alternative ideas. And while it may not bring down the state, it certainly makes Bulgaria a bit harder to govern, a bit harder to understand. And living here today, I'd say there, there's still a bit of a legacy of the Bogomils. There's still a fascinating kind of part of the narrative of the, the, the soul of the country. So that's enough of me analyzing them. I'd love to hear what you think. If uh, you know more about the Bogomils, if you want to have some questions about them, write us on Facebook or send us an email. That's going to be it for today. This podcast is produced by Martin Christoph. The composer of our theme music is Teddy Raven. The story is written by me, Eric Halsey. Today, with help from Lance Nelson, I'll have to thank him for using his audio equipment. Uh, I'm going to be using it from now on, so hopefully you will all notice a significant increase in the quality. So big thanks to Lance for helping out with that. Help us spread the word by liking us on Facebook and writing us a review on iTunes uh, and sending us a message, letting us know what you think. Uh, especially by liking us on Facebook, you can keep track of the latest developments and see some occasional interesting articles and images and things that I post there. So what are you waiting for? Come on, get to it. Like us on Facebook. There's some cool stuff there. You'll always be kind of connected in what's going on with the podcast, and you can always feel free to contact me. I know I have a listener from the U.S. who is visiting Bulgaria this weekend, and we met and had coffee, so I'm always around, a bit busy sometimes, but please get in touch. Also, finally, check out our website at bghistorypodcast.com, where you can find useful resources that come along with each episode. For this episode, I have a map of the spread of Bogomil ideas throughout Europe, as well as some images of St. Ivan Rilski in his modern monastery. Really, if you're coming to Bulgaria at all, the real monastery is a must-see uh, location. And also, if you want to know how to get there, you can send me a message. And uh, finally, finally, as always, consider making a donation with the PayPal button on the website or just writing us a message. It's always great to hear from you. So until next time, uspech, or in English, good luck.